Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. I'm Amanda Miller. And I'm Dave Orsborn, and we are so excited to have you with us here in the St. Gabriel Cafe this morning, our live and local morning show. Cam Clutter is our faithful barista, and joining us this morning will be Father Thomas Blau, a Dominican priest in residence at St. Patrick's and the mission preacher for the diocese. Dave, can you start us in a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm, Come Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. We thank you for this day, for all the blessings uh, that you've given us. We're grateful for, for you and for your son, for our families. Uh, just, again, all those blessings. Uh, let us be attentive today uh, to the people that you put in our paths, that we may shine forth uh, the face of Jesus to them. Help us to grow in holiness and to bring others along with us on this journey. Father, in the name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and as always, we consecrate this show to our Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Today's a big day in church history. Lots of stuff happened. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about it. Well, first of all, it is the feast day of Pope St. John the 23rd. And Pope St. John the 23rd is well known, perhaps best known, uh, for starting the ecumenical council, which we call Vatican II. So today is the anniversary of of the start of Vatican II. And I just learned this this morning, Amanda. Today is also the anniversary of the catechism that was introduced by Pope St. John Paul II. No way. He introduced it 30 years after the start of Vatican II. You know, I don't know much about that history. Well, hopefully we're going to learn a heck of a lot more about it today. (laughs) It's fascinating. Uh, We're planning on looking at some of the documents, uh, especially how they pertain to the role of the laity. And it is a rich history. Uh, Over 50 years now, we've been living in the post-conciliar church, the post-Vatican II world. What does the word conciliar mean? Uh, that which reconciles or Mm. conciles. Okay. (laughs) So yeah. What's up in Amanda's life? You're getting ready to head down to EWTN next week. That's right. Yeah. So I'll be leaving Tuesday and we're flying out to Birmingham. We're going to be there to be a part of the EWTN conference. I'll get to know some of the other radio stations, Catholic radio stations, and the lovely people who work for them. And I'll get to see the shrine, which I've never seen before. Oh, you've never been to the shrine in Hansville. 
Oh, yeah, it's a day of prayer. So every year this radio conference happens in the fall and it begins with a day of prayer at the shrine, Mother Angelica's shrine out in uh, Hansville, Alabama. It's beautiful. What took you there? Originally, I think the first time I, I went was probably for a radio conference, but then we've also gone down on uh, other occasions. Uh, we were blessed along with the Messerlies to go down for Mother Angelica's funeral. Oh, wow. Which was really a gift. It was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. So we kind of drove down, uh, got there for the uh, vigil um, the night before the funeral. Uh, we were able to pay respects to Mother Angelica and catch up with a lot of old friends and uh, make, you know, new friends. And then the funeral. And actually, that was the first time that I met the Levin sisters who have joined us. Uh, they're in serving in Portsmouth now, but they were hanging out on the steps outside the shrine after the funeral. Uh, and they just looked pretty cool. So the family walked over and said <laughs> hi to them and we spent some time with them. And yeah, it was, uh, it's a real blessing. So you'll be able to see mother Angelica's tomb, which is in the undercroft, uh, of the shrine. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage any, any of, any of our friends that it's well worth the trip. Uh, down to to spend uh, some uh, prayer time uh, there. There's a number of like bed and breakfasts uh, on the way into the shrine, which are quite nice. Okay, I was going to so, ask, is there the ability to do a retreat out there? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So you can stay in one of those houses. It really is in the middle of nowhere. There's a Benedictine monastery not too far from Hansville or from the shrine where you can also, they have guest accommodations. So nice. yeah. In the heart of Alabama. So, what are you looking forward to most about uh, the conference? Um, I am looking forward to the day of prayer for sure. I actually had a friend who, who worked out there for the shrine and I don't know much about it, but he just always told me it's just so beautiful out here. So peaceful. And he would mention that the priests that would come and do retreats there. And it's just really seems to be a haven for people. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to just see the grounds, to get time for prayer. And yeah, I mean, especially having a particular connection to the radio station, right? Kind of getting the spirit of Mother Angelica and yeah, praying at her tomb. Now, a special treat, some years you're able to go into the parlor area in the cloister. Oh. And spend some time with the nuns. Okay. Yeah, and they're wonderful. There's a number of sisters that are from the Ohio area uh, that are down there. And we have uh, just uh, long friendships with, uh, with the sisters. So the other special thing with... Uh, the trip for the radio conferences, of course, being at EWTN, the main campus. And typically, uh, everyone's invited to a live, the live, I was going to say live taping, but the live show for Father Mitch Pacwa. So that's fun also, if you've never seen a, a TV show mm-hmm. produced. Okay, well, because I've never been there and I don't really know the land. I don't want to give too many secrets away. I want <laughs> you to be surprised. So, so, but even just the history, I would like to know a little more. So 
the EWTN station, how separate is that from the shrine? And It's about an hour away. Okay. Yeah. So you'll be spending some time either in a rental car or a bus. But the bus trips actually are a lot of fun because you get to spend time with other radio operators and uh, other what we call affiliates. We're all affiliates of EWTN. Mm-hmm. So so then when Mother Angelica was, when, when she was producing... Mm-hmm. Where did she stay? She, well, in the early years, she was in Birmingham. So the actual radio campus used to be the convent for the sisters. Okay. So you'll, as a part of the, oh, I don't want to give away too many surprises. <laughs> the former convent there is office space now. Oh, okay. And her former cell is actually an office. Well, that's a lucky person who works there. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, her old office is is, uh, is set up so you can go in and see your desk and you know sit in her chair and you know do those sorts of things. It, it's a great. It's just a really nice trip, and families are always welcome there. Now the the friars, the the priests and brothers, are still based there at EWTN in Birmingham. At some point, Mother Angelic and the sisters built the shrine and moved out to Hansville, and that's where their cloister mm-hmm. cloister is. Um, yeah, a good trip, a good trip. Today is the start of early voting for the November election, so we're encouraging all of our friends to get out there and vote. We were blessed to spend some time with uh, Peggy Hartshorn and Bishop Fernandez yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you listened into the interview. Yeah. Yeah. So that will debut this weekend on the Family Sanctuary with Peggy Hartshorn. It was a wonderful interview. Uh, Bishop Fernandez speaks with such clarity and such passion on these issues. Uh, we spoke a lot about uh, human dignity, of course, and abortion and uh, the value the intrinsic value that the church places on the human person. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away because it won't air until, like you said, Saturday. But I was very struck also by what Bishop shared and just, yeah, the the charity, but the power mm-hmm. that he shared with. And um, yeah, some strong language in there, too, that just really got my attention and think like, yeah, this is this is a battle that we're in and we need to be attentive. So yeah, looking forward to that. And he really models very well, number one, the passion, but also the love in how he presents the truth. Never. And you know, there's a lot to be frustrated about in the world or upset or even angry. And I've never seen that in Bishop Fernandez. He always speaks from a place of love and that was I think especially apparent in yesterday's interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so. it really was. So a lot going on. I think Father Blau is entering the cafe. Yeah. yeah. We'll see if he brought donuts. Th- those were <laughs> those were promised to us. So, yeah, Father Blau. Uh, have you met Father Thomas? No, I haven't. I'm so excited. And there he is. Father Thomas Blau is in the cafe. Hi, Father. Come on in. Pull up a chair. 
Thank you. Amanda Miller, Father Thomas Blau. Pleasure. So Hello. nice to meet you. Father Thomas, what have you been up to? Hello. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get here on time. <laughs> it's busy out there. I'm never on the road at this time in the morning. <laughs> well, you're here. So good to, good have to be here. You. Yeah. yeah. We've I'm, been we've been pursuing you the last couple of months, and you've yes. been traveling. You've been all over the I place. I have been all over. I've been in uh, all over the Columbus Diocese, from Portsmouth up to Ada, um, way up there, and then all throughout the the expanse of the diocese, and then I've done a lot of preacher for the National Eucharistic Preacher. I was going to ask you about, so you've been designated as a Eucharistic preacher. Yes. For the revival. Yes. And so, um, and and Father Hayes Mm -hmm. has done that. And so Father Hayes has done a lot more of them. He is just uh, amazing at how many of these missions he's taken on. He's all over the United States. Mm -hmm. And so I've been to Richmond, Pittsburgh. I'm going back to Richmond soon. Um, and then out to, I've got one in Colorado. So, uh, that's preaching across the U S and are you trying to go South for a further winter? Is that part I, of the plan? I should pick one up. I know <laughs> down there. I hear yeah. I should No, I, um, uh, if, so the way it works is people call into the NCCB, the bishops and say, I want a national Eucharistic preacher. And they have someone designated there who sends it out to, I think there's 50 of us and uh, saying, who can take this? Can you take this one? And so, like I said, Father Hayes is very good with that. I have prior commitments here covering for priests in the diocese. And that's the Barnabas the Society? Bar- the Barnabas Ministry. Ministry, okay. Yeah. Barnabas, the um, uh, son of encouragement, trying to encourage us and the priests that, hey, make it easy, one call, and I cover your whole parish. So then... There are 50 priests throughout the U.S. assigned to be these preachers? Yes, I think it's 50. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that, 50. <laughs> That's excellent. I don't, I don't believe it's hundreds. I think it's 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and about 48 uh, of them are probably Dominican? Oh, my. There's probably 15 of them, 20 are Dominicans. Oh, yeah. All the yeah. Dominicans. yeah the, the email got around. Hey, look at this. <laughs> Yeah, he may have got around on that one. The order jumped of preachers. The, yeah, jumped at the opportunity to preach. <laughs> oh my golly! Uh, yeah, all of our our guys in uh, on the East Coast, guys at the seminary, some of the guys up stretching up and down the East Coast uh, jumped on it. And there's and so they're doing a lot of work with Focus, a lot of work with SPO. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of all over. Outstanding. Tell us more about the uh, Barnabas uh, ministry. So for most priests, in order to get away, for, like I was talking to one priest recently. He said to get away, he has to call, you know, eight to 10 to 12 priests to take over his mass and confession schedule. And wow. it's just incredible. It's usually a secretary who does it. You know? mm. And just this list of men who are already pretty well burdened and asking them to take on more with the hope that when I get back and you want to take off, I'll be able to reciprocate. So the idea is they should be able to call someone and have it done. Just like that. Right. And that's where it came from. Just like one-stop shopping. You call me, we got you. That is fantastic. So, so much needed. Oh, it's across the board. I'm, I'm, so I'm just amazed. So it may be happening in other dioceses. I had an EWTN stint during COVID. So I was just a little screen, just a little tiny little screen off to the side of some show, you know, one of their shows. And I think it went well. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I got a bishop. I got a one bishop who said, you know, called me up and said, Father Blau, how can you, 
I want you in my diocese. How can I get you in my diocese? And I'm like, I'm on contract with the uh, Diocese of Columbus. And so it doesn't cost. That's the other thing about it. It's not just that, but it doesn't cost the, um, the, the parish a dime. They should give the stipend if they want. But uh, it doesn't cost the parish a dime. So these, it makes these smaller parishes who are way out in the middle of nowhere. You know, if you're in, within the Beltway of Columbus, you've got priests within a reasonable drive time. But you're out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have anybody like that to back you up. So this is backup. And so it doesn't cost the parish anything. The diocese picks it up. We've been praying for our diocesan priests this week in a special way because they're on a priest convocation retreat yes. with Father John Ricardo. Yes, and so I know you've been filling in at the cathedral. Mm-hmm. We've heard you this week uh, at the 1205 Mass. Uh-oh, how are those homilies? Those are good. Those are good. They're, they're, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. What we've so, come to expect from you. Expect. Yeah. So they've got a great congregation there. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a wonderful parish. If you're downtown, uh, you have a good choice between St. Patrick's and the cathedral. See how I worded that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, this just reminds me just of how blessed we are in the Columbus Diocese, right? That not every diocese has this, and and we are so blessed. So It it is. Thank you, Father. My pleasure. There's a grace in Columbus. I was giving a talk against women's ordination, and I was in a parish and Googled masstimes.org. And from that parish, it was out towards Hilliard. And I counted up the number of masses within a 10-minute drive. Because I knew that parish, and I knew what a 10-minute drive would do. And 33 makes it go quicker, and, you know, 10-minute um, drive. They had 85 options for Sunday mass. Yeah. 85 options. That's the beauty of being Catholic. It all counts, no matter where you go. Wow. And so um, I used it to say, oh, there's a, there's a pre-shortage, there's a pre-shortage. no. Only way out, there's a sanctuary glut. You know, you got one guy running four sanctuaries. Mm. That's a problem. But um, I did the same thing for Cleveland where people scramble about that. Oh, my golly. They have my, one of my relatives has 115 options for Sunday Mass. Wow. Within a 10-minute drive. What? Within a 10-minute drive. So there's a glut of sanctuaries. So that's the thing. And, she, and that person says, oh, we need to rearrange priesthood because there's a shortage. No, there's not. When you go down to, to Portsmouth, within an hour, you've got six masses. That's the difference. Mm. Wow. Within an hour, you've got six masses. Wow. You know? It's amazing. So my thing is, no, we've got our Dawson priests are doing great work. And um, if we drive to um, – if work takes us 45 minutes to get to our work right. every day, don't don't be angry if mass takes you that long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That's a good point, Father. <laughs> good point. Yeah. How long have you been in Columbus now? Um, at least three years. We move every three years. So I've been here at least three years. Times. <laughs> yeah. Maybe times four. Because, yeah, I mean, we were... When you first came to Columbus, I think we were both on maybe the upper range of young adult. Yes. Yeah. I didn't have gray hair when I got here. Yeah. <laughs> Neither did I. Yeah. 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 I, I was, yeah. I was a marathon. What's your excuse? Yeah, that's right. All my joints worked correctly when I worked here, <laughs> when I yeah. first got here. Yeah. My, um, my reason here, my, my job, if you call it that, has, has morphed over the years. Yeah. 
And so it, it was a, an associate at St. Patrick's, and then it became the bishop's preacher doing parish missions. And I still do that. I still do parish missions in the diocese. And um, I think I've done a little over 100 in this diocese. So I know the parishes really well. Um, then I taught at a local Catholic college for a little while, ODU. Taught there, and that was a hoot. That was wonderful. And that's when the Barnabas ministry kicked in. Uh, right after that, mm-hmm. Barnabas Ministry and Parish Missions. And since there has been added um, the missionaries, uh, Pontifical Missionaries of Mercy, so we do a lot of confessions. And lately, along with the Barnabas Ministry and uh, taking over priests just to maintain their mass and things like that, is I teach at the Josephina. Okay. So, wow. On Mondays. I only do it on Mondays. So what that, do you teach? I teach homiletics. Okay. Okay. So how to do a homily, mm-hmm. how to do speech, rhetoric, things like that. And that is a hoot. You've got some great preachers in line mm-hmm. for this diocese. Great. You, you really do. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, happy feast day. Thank you. Thank we're, you. We're celebrating Father Thomas Blouse here in the cafe with us. Today is the feast day of Pope St. John the 23rd. Mm-hmm. Also, the anniversary of the start of Vatican II, yes. and I just learned this this morning, Father. It's also the anniversary of the introduction of the new Catechism. Oh, fantastic! Thirty, 30 <laughs> years, it. thirty years after the start of Vatican II, John Paul II introduced the new Catechism. I have so many people asking, "Oh, what about the Church? What's going on?" And I'm, and my thing is, if it doesn't change the Catechism, it's mere commentary. Mm. Don't worry. Commentary, mm-hmm. ha- the catechism hasn't changed since, what What date was that where you introduced it? 1989. Hasn't changed since 1989. Yeah. There's a little bit, the ball moved forward with capital punishment. But right. everything else, faith and doctrine and liturgy, it's right there. It's a beautiful, it really beautiful is. resource. Everything, yeah. like you said, everything that you want to know about the yeah. life, life in the church, we, the church itself is right there. We don't, you know, there's some some religions out there who incrementally reveal what they're about. So you get into it like six, ten years down the road, and all of a sudden you find out, we believe this? That's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. No, it's all right there. It's printed right there so you can figure out what the church, and sometimes you have to ask them, what what are they talking about, you know? But um, the, because it, it's it was made, it's basically, it just writes down everything. And so it's all... It's out front. It's not hidden. It's it's blatant. I love that about our faith. Well, the catechism is a beautiful resource also then to Scripture. The cross-references oh, are, are, are the, remarkable. The scripture, the footnotes are a Bible study. They're ready for anyone that wants to run a Bible study. The footnotes are a Bible study. Yeah. So the anniversary... You have your big book of Vatican II with you. Yes, I do. Yeah, the Flannery edition. Yeah, And it looks like it's been well used, Father. (laughs) (laughs) Of all your notes there. (laughs) Oh, all over it. Yeah, and some some of them more than others. Here's the one on Lady, which should be just kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It is. It is a wonderful thing. The... um, I'm looking right here at the dogmatic constitution of the church. So when I was I was in college, I was not interested in faith. My parents did a wonderful job, okay? But I didn't buy into it, and I wasn't interested in the faith. And when I got to college, someone 
eventually said, hey, read this. And they gave me the dogmatic constitution of the church. That's what they said. Here, read this. This will. And I'm like, what a, what an amazing thing. I would, I, I don't know anyone who's done that to get someone used to Catholicism. <laughs> yeah. And I read two chapters of it. The um, Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution of the church, 2,151 bishops voted yes on this one. 2,151 voted yes. Let's go with this. That's amazing. Okay. So uh, that's just the work of God. That's a work mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. So let, let's talk a little bit about the history and how Vatican II came to be. Mm-hmm. John the Twenty Third really took some people by surprise. <laughs> he was, right? you know, he may have been. Humans can can ha- can have mechanizations and stuff as far as where they vote and how they, and how they they vote on anything. Mm-hmm. Well, he was supposed to be an interim candidate. Okay. That's what's funny. Let's let's get the old Italian guy. You know, let's bring him in. That'll be fine. We'll we'll wait and we'll get who we want. And um, within a few weeks, within a few months of him being uh, elected the, to the the chair, uh, he said, "I had a vision. I had a dream. You know, and we're calling an ecumenical council." And that's just amazing. It's like, so... I didn't realize it started with a vision. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He had this and vision, maybe an interior sense. Sure. God wants me to do this. And he yeah. called an ecumenical council. So, so much for being an interim candidate yeah. that's supposed to live and die quickly. Now, in this context, what does ecumenical mean? That would be um, all the entire church, representatives of the entire church. So all the bishops, mm-hmm. uh, that would be ecumenical. Eastern Rite. Yes, all Roman the different right. rites. Yeah, 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 and um, and then they would go and they what they did was they would present uh, little working groups would present a schema, and that schema would be the outline or the the roots of what they wanted to do, and those schemas could change like crazy. They could absolutely say, "No, nah, we're doing." That's what they happened in Lumen Gentium. Uh, they threw it out. They threw out the original schema and they came up with another. The original schema. Was not supposed to. It was supposed to have a separate document, is what they originally proposed on Our Lady, to make sure Our Lady has gets sufficient room, and the bishops, in their wisdom, said, "No, she's part of the church. She should be in the document that's part of the church, Lumen Gentium, and that's why she's Chapter Eight of Lumen Gentium, is because they didn't want her separated from the church. Isn't, right. that, isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. I just love that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, so 1959 is is when the council began. The giants of 20th, 20th yes. century Catholicism were involved in this. Yes. Cardinal Ratzinger. Ratzinger was there. Yeah. Cardinal Ratzinger. A number of Dominicans who I... Well, of course. Have, got their hands in everything. <laughs> and I'm um, trying to look for it. The... Um, no, that's not... Is that it. a seating chart? No. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is another discussion. <laughs> How the Vatican runs. Yeah. No way. It's the, this uh, is only like a front and back of one. Can you yeah, believe uh, that? Yeah. I know, yeah. the uh, <laughs> It's front and back of one piece of paper on how the Vatican runs. So on 4 December 19th, Sacrosanctum Concilium, uh, which gets all the press right now, you know. Sacrosanctum yeah. Concilium and what the things that did get, gets all the press right now. When it, it misses things like the decree on the laity. And that was the second document they gave me is um, divine revelation. Oh, that's fantastic. And so I, 
I was asking after I read two chapters of Lumen Gentium, so what are we supposed to do? And they, they handed me the decree on the apostle of the laity. And so the beauty of it is in the, and I, that's, that was my, my main point with Vatican II, it gave a new vision of the church, a new awake vision of the church that we didn't have before it, okay? Vatican I addressed the Pope, okay? It started to address the bishops, and then it was interrupted by a war. That happened to church history all the time. And they came mm. back together. All those original guys were dead. But they came back together for Vatican II to flesh out the bishops and the priest and the laity. Well, the laity just kind of got an add-on. And it said something that has not that has not been said before. It said, as the Bishops share in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly ministry of Jesus. So do its priests, and so do the laity. The laity share in a full measure in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly ministry of Jesus. I want to make sure I get terms correct here. It's not as much of a change as it is... A clear, uh, even clarification. Where I'm going with this, Father, in in, in Scripture, yeah. you know, Matthew says, "Go and make disciples yes. of all the world." You know, baptize them and, and make disciples. Mm-hmm. I always read that as very much including the laity. I think the mission did, but if you, you know, if you read in the the Council of Trent, okay. The Catechism of the Council of Trent states it goes to the sacraments, okay? Every council has its own catechism that comes from it. So we have one for our Catechism of Vatican mm-hmm. II. Uh, came out a few years after, just a few years after, uh, called the, the Universal Catechism that we now have. Right. Um, so in the Catechism of the Council of Trent, you know, Trent clarified sacraments and the issues of the Reformation, but... Um, in the catechism, it talks about the sacraments in the order, okay? So it talked about sacraments of initiation, uh, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. It talked about sacraments of service, the priesthood. It talked about sacraments of healing, penance. Uh, it talked about sacraments for the dead, extreme unction. We don't use that term now. And then it talked about marriage. Mm. It, that's the way, that's the order. Okay, and that that started to change. So basically, you read there. What are the duties of married folk? Pray, pay, and obey. And that's really what it was. If you read it, it doesn't have this eloquent stance. And that started in the 19th century uh, by a guy named Sheben. Matthias Sheben started this. Okay, he has some great books. And uh, then it it they on the the, with through Catholic action in the early 20th century, it kind of developed a little. Uh, but then when you get to Vatican II, saying they share in their own right. And it, so what it, by doing that, priestly, prophetic, and kingly ministry, it shows how bishops do it, priests do it, and laity do it. And so it wove laity into the mission of the church without saying, you just hang on the coattails of the bishops and priests. And then John Paul II would advance that, and Christophilius Laici, Christ's faithful laity, and Familios Consortio, the family, uh, by saying they have a, a mission which is their own and cannot be done by another. And specifically, it is the evangelization of the secular sphere, the world around us. When I walk into a bar, everyone turns their head, okay? <laughs> when normal people walk into a bar, no one even sees them. Mm. Yeah. That's and so that's where the laity go. 
They go out into the, what we call the world or the secular sphere versus the religious sphere. They have a greater emphasis for evangelization there. And there's two, two key words in, in, in these documents, ministry and apostolate. Yes. So ministry, as I understand it, is the workings within the church. Interesting. Fair, okay, fair. I've never heard that distinction. Okay, and, but... and apostolate is in the world. So when you're talking about the apostolate of the laity, it means to be in the world. In the world, yeah. We, um, we make that distinction. I gave this out at a, a local non-Catholic university a couple of years ago between vocation, avocation, and apostolate. And your vocation is married, single for life, religious, priesthood. That's your vocation, okay? Your avocation is the work that you do or what what allows you to do your vocation. For most people, it means someone has a job or you've won the mega ball. You, don't, you can just do your vocation. You mm-hmm. don't have to work. Or you've run an inheritance. But for a vast majority of people, it's ha- someone has a job, which allows you to do your vocation. And then apostolate is what you do once you start kicking the kids off to, to school and you have t- more, a little more time in your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and now in the Protestant world, they don't have that because they don't see marriage as a clear vocation. Uh, mar- mm. Marriage is in a sacrament outside of Catholicism. People have an idea and they may th- pin it on there, but they've lost all meaning to it of what a sacrament is, giving grace that transforms you. So, Father Thomas Blouse here with us here in the St. Gabriel Cafe in the next 26 minutes, we're going to go through the entire documents of uh, Vatican II, right? Remember, we did that a few years ago. We did that. Not in an hour. There Remember was a that? series. Yeah. Yeah. I spoke like 10 times in that whole entire series. Yeah. yeah. I was able to, able to preach 10, to speak 10 times in that series. Mm-hmm. It was about 10 sentences. <laughs> well, it sounds, Father, like the emphasis that you're sharing with us is it really it gave Vatican II gave rise to um, the focus of the laity and how they ought to serve the church, serve one another. Is, is that what you're I, saying? For me, that is the biggest um, um, direction of it. Okay. okay. It, um, it, it, the lady would not be doing today what they're doing if Vatican didn't open it. And so I do hear people talking about the negative aspects of Vatican II, and there's a great book by Hitchcock called What Happened at Vatican II. I think that's one of uh, our baristos' favorite books. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what happened? Well, I think, remember the schemas? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Someone kept releasing those early to the press. Oh. Okay? Someone kept giving negative input. Okay? You had all these, these sheeps and non-white colored clothing. That's <laughs> confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were going to completely change. And every, mm. every little nuance was stressed in the media. So read Hitchcock's book. Um, but the, uh, the opening it up so that people in different languages were not have to be anchored to, uh, European history, uh, the, the, uh, the liturgy, things like that. Uh, what did I hear recently? I think it's because of this. I heard of an RCIA that has 80 people. It has 50 candidates. It has 30 true catechumens coming in. It's unheard of. Here in the diocese? It's in another diocese. Oh, darn Our it. Di- I know. Our diocese, are doing well. So they're like, they're going to all the different groups in, in, in the, in the uh, parish saying, hey, we need this. Now that's possible because of the apostle of the lady, mm. because we've opened up the mission of the church 
is for every member of the church. Okay, so then what does it mean for the laity to partake in their role as priest, prophet, and king? That's a great, that's a great thing, and you should have me come into your parish for a parish mission. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But in general, so that's the thing. When it talked about priest, prophet, king, it talked about the bishops being priest, prophet, king, the, the clergy being priest, prophet, king, the laity being priest, prophet, king. You see the where they were short. They didn't talk about the religious, men and women religious, mm. being priest, prophet, king. They never wove them into the fabric of the church. And so that's why I think you have confusion of some religious who are grabbing other people's expressions of priest, prophet, king, wondering where we stand. The women's ordination thing. Like, where do we stand in the prophetic priestly ministry? So for laity, it would be when you come to Mass, offer yourself as a sacrifice of God. It's where you come with an intention. I'm given intention by the parish. That's your priestly ministry. It's where you consecrate different moments throughout the day and offer them for the glory of God. Um, Then you, uh, for prophetic ministry, that's your evangelistic ministry. And so being an evangelist, being a light in the darkness, being countercultural in family life, things like that. Uh, I'm sketching through it. And then for priest, prophet, king, your kingly ministry to, to reign, to, to serve is to reign. To reign is to serve, and so that is service in the family. So the works of mercy are not just to strangers; they're to your children and your spouses and your family. So the the school that's where it first is taught and done well. So your family becomes a school of charity because the verbs of charity we call them the works of mercy. And so your family, for most lady, is where you're going to live out that calling to charity, that kingly role of service, and you teach the next generation, this is normal living. This is normal Catholicism. May I quote from Lumen Gentium? Woohoo! For the win! <laughs> uh, these are paragraphs, uh, really, from paragraph 30 through 38, really talks about the role of the, of the laity. Uh, So in 34 and 35, we share in Christ's priesthood through our daily sacrifice by which the world is consecrated back to Christ. Sacrifice comes in unique ways to each of us, marriage, occupation, parenthood, tithing, time, etc. Then 35, like a prophet, we must call out and call on the world to draw closer to Christ. Since this is our call, We must also strive to deepen our knowledge of the faith so as to better engage with the world around us from the perspective of the church. Yeah. It's right there. That's pretty, yeah, it's amazing. And that really sets up, you know, 30 years later, the introduction of the catechism. Yes. To know it, to love it, to, and to realize everyone's worried. Um, the, The Holy Father gives his input on a lot of issues and to date like as i said except for that moving forward with john paul and benedict had already started with capital punishment that book has remained the same and that's we're, we're committed to the faith and morals of the church and it's written down in that catechism and it hasn't changed unless it changes the catechism then frankly it's it's uh it's weighty commentary and opinions and so that's our commitment is what's in that catechism. That's the beauty of it is that's telling us what the faith and doctrine and morals of the church is. And if it's not there, 
you know what, then it's something else than what I have to believe. That's the mm -hmm. beauty of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Father Thomas, could you, would you agree that maybe some of this can be boiled down to just, we must take seriously our role as being an evangelist? Yes. Yes. I was just looking at that. The, um, in those paragraphs you quoted, and so uh, the lady, um, it's, it says the lady, and that is the faithful who are, who by, so it used to be defined negatively. The lady were those who are not priests. Okay. Mm. That's a negative definition. So they changed it. Those who by baptism are incorporated into Christ are placed in the people of God and in their own way, share the priestly, prophetic, and kingly office of Jesus. And then it will go as you just did. It will go and say it. But eventually it will say, the lady, however, are given the special vocation to make the church present and fruitful in those places and circumstances where it is only through them that she can become the salt of the earth. It'll talk about the worship, and then it's got this great line. This evangelization, that is the proclamation of Christ by word and the testimony of life. I love that. By word and the testimony of life or witness of life acquires a special property and particular efficacy because it is accomplished in the ordinary circumstances of the world. And so it'll go and say, the, the laity have this special goal of being able to engage the world and people of the world. And the, uh, that isn't, that, that's not the, the role of the priests. That's unique to the laity. Mm. They have something of their own to do. Uh, starting in families, of course, uh, but um, bring it, just bring the gospel. And it can be, and then this was advanced by Paul VI in a great document called Evangelii Nuntiandi, Evangelization in the Modern World. And, it, and he's just eloquent in there and says they can go into places and they can be a presence of God in a way that the priest can't. Mm -hmm. Folks never realize my priestly ministry. Of course, I'm trying to consecrate the world throughout the day like you are, calling down God's blessing and spirit at different moments. But I largely affect those people who are inside my walls, personally. Now, my the mass, who knows who that affects? The whole world it does. But the I affect the people who go in the four walls of the church. I don't affect the people across the street that, you know, ballet met right across the street. <laughs> I don't affect them. At least, I mean, I'm sure the grace goes in their direction and that does something. But as far as my words and example and preaching, no, unless they get in the four walls, that's where the laity come in. And that famous quote is, what the world needs now are witnesses. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, we, and when, and you, when you, it's not when you have to use words, that's very non-Dominican. One thing is. It's not no. Franciscan either, brother. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are not, you're going to end up using words. You better be ready. Okay. Uh, you live your life. You show to use a colloquialism. You, you march to a different drummer and that's going to attract people's attention, especially it's going to be easier in one sense, the darker society gets, the darker our culture gets than People of life, people of truth are just going to stand out and you're going to get people coming up to you saying, they don't come up to me that way. Okay. They come up and said, what's with the right robes? You know, what's with the rosary? Who are you? Mm -hmm. What are you, what are you trying to be this Halloween? Okay. That's what they, <laughs> that's what they say to me. Uh, this time of year. Yeah. yeah. But th they're going to say to you, why are you like this? How come you're not like everyone else? You stand out so much. Why? Mm -hmm. And that's the moment to give your testimony. That's the moment to, to give your 
your life is already witnessed. That's the moment to use what you've prepared in that you believe he's risen. Well, and to call us back kind of to that point in the conversation, Father, where you were accentuating the vocation and avocation, right? Um, are, are, are people who go through holy orders, are religious, are priests, you know, bishops, they can't be doctors. They can't be businessmen. They can't be, because I mean, your, your nine to five, so to speak, is yeah. bringing souls to Christ in the church, right? My nine to five is as the producer of a morning show, yes. right? Which, yeah. which is not something you have and the freedom in your schedule to do. The, there used to be something called the worker priest movement over in France. France was always experimenting with new things. And the worker priests are guys who had a nine to five job. And then after five, and it's usually nine to nine, they, they were in the toughest jobs and uh, they eventually burned out. Okay. They burned yeah. out. And th- no, those are two full-time jobs, being a priest and running a family or running a business. Those are two fu- full-time jobs. And so one of them is going to give, and it's usually the, uh, the, easy, the one that is, is going to be the hardest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Father Thomas Blau here in the cafe with us, and we're talking about the role of the laity as it was expressed in the Vatican II documents. I read a really interesting article on the history of Catholic education in the U.S., uh, pre-Vatican II and post-Vatican II, Mm -hmm. and focusing primarily on primary, primarily on primary, on primary education, secondary education, Mm -hmm. so what we would now call parish schools. Mm -hmm. So pre-Vatican II... They really didn't mm. exist until much later. I mean, Catholic education goes back to the 1600s, actually, yeah. in the U.S. But prior to Vatican II, the mission of Catholic education was catechesis mm. and protection, sanctuary against Protestant proselytizing. Yes. So very, very specific to... Yeah, it's just protecting the children against outside forces, basically. Mm-hmm. After Vatican II, the evan- even evangelization was added into the mix. And as the whole church, you know, shifted its mission, Catholic education certainly did at that point. That's mm-hmm. where... Um, Students were trained still in catechesis, but then how to live the faith in the world and to bring Christ to yes. the world. I, I thought of the two of mm. you, uh, Father, because Amanda and you are both graduates of Franciscan University. Woo-hoo. Oh, hey, Father. Yes, woo-hoo, yay! <laughs> what, 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 without Vatican II, what would Franciscan University look like? What would our schools look like the mission yeah. is completely turned i hear you, you know there's a, i think there's a document in here somewhere on education mm. and um the um it has the mission has it's not just present so catechesis is a further stage than initial evangelization you know and so and then after that you've got what's called didascalia which is teaching them how to pray how to deepen things in it's kind of like what rsa is to uh, that step after RCA, you know. Um, so um, I think they'd be radically different. I wouldn't th- think they'd have the spiritual depth that some of our best Catholic universities have. You know, I definitely don't think that the the uh, Franciscan U and the energy and the enthusiasm 
would be there with the old model because it hasn't been produced in the old schools that have kept that model. There's a mm-hmm. couple of them. And when Catholic schools are at their best, they as the, when the faculty really accepts and promotes the church from chemistry to, to biblical studies, you know, when they all promote the church in some way or the, the, the church's vision on whatever their topic is, they're a powerhouse. And that's what we see through Franciscan U. You know, the, the number of people who embrace their vocation by going through Franciscan U is just amazing. It's just amazing. It's, it's, there's a few Catholic colleges that do it, but cat, mm-hmm. you know, to, to our local example, Franciscan U is doing it. People are embracing their vocations from matrimony to priesthood to religious life. It's really impressive to see. What I see, too, in parish, uh, say, confirmation classes, I know at St. Mm-hmm. Patrick's, the emphasis on virtue. Yes. And, and that is very much tied to living out the Christian life. Yes. In, in the world. It, living, having a virtuous life is oriented towards bringing others to Christ. Is, you're going to shine. Through your own example. You're going to shine out. You are going to shine, especially, like I said, right now, if you've got your head screwed on your head, your shoulders and you go into most high schools and definitely most colleges, if you know, if you have a sense of purpose, if you have a sense of what your mission is in the church at a young age, you are walking to a different drummer because that's not normal today. Normal today is being a a cork, being thrown around on the wave of popular opinion, on what's the latest of TikTok, whose shoes should I be concerned about today? There's an article I was, oh, I saw it yesterday. There was an article about someone who's in the news and the divisive shoe style she had. It was divisive. I don't know how you do that. Shoes are divisive. Shoes are divisive. And they're trying to get these words like, oh, my golly, look at how could she have worn that color shoe with that color outfit. Oh, wow, (laughs) what courage, what boldness. I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. it. Yeah, yeah, just stop it. Please. You know, you're killing us. Yeah. And so, no, we. that's a direction for for joyful living. That's parish mission. That's a direction for uh, Joyful living is a life of virtue. Father, I'd like to come back to the idea that you shared earlier, how the the documents really help to weave the laity into ministry, the fabric of the church. So what does the relationship of the laity look like in union with um, the clergy and um, the ordained? So how, how to, I guess, work together well? Yes, I, I think... Um, from what I see, the um, the clergy who are able to to use looking for words in the moment, who are able to energize their laity, not just have a list and saying, "Here's the list of ministries I want done here," but you've got people, you got the you got people who who are ideas people, and to let them come see the ideas to make our parish go. The priest can't do it all; he can't reach all demographics, okay, of a parish, and. I think a priest he sets the boundaries, you know, when it when the when the you know, when you um I'm trying to think it when you want to have uh fireworks in the church. No, you're not going to do that in my church. So <laughs> he's going to set the boundaries, you know. He'll make sure that if if the 
uh, men's group is going to do That Man Is You, or they're going to get off it and go do Barron's Catholicism series. He'll set the boundaries in a general way of where he wants, but the successful priest does not keep his thumb on the laity and saying, you're only going to do what I say. I think Vatican II said, no, the laity have a mission of their own, and they can see if it fits in his vision of the 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 um, priesthood. But we see there's many people who are doing apostolates right now, and they're not really part of a, a parish. They'll mm-hmm. go elsewhere, or they'll just do it on their own. Okay, I look at the Kairos. It's not established in only one parish. It's right. across the boards, and it really resides in the people that run that prison ministry. I So I think that's more it. I, I say the wise pastor knows how to get people involved and um, he connects them and, and animates them and gives them a purpose and gives them meaning for the ministry they want to do in their hearts, mm-hmm. you know. And how can the laity then support our, our priest? Uh, the, the first, I think, is prayer. Um, then um, I think, uh, my, I think if, uh, especially for all the priests that are listening to this, I think give more money in the envelopes. Okay. Now all your priests are, are pl- clapping right now. Like, yeah, yeah, wow. And then have me come in for parish mission. But um, the, pray for them. Love the church. You know, it's never never so much of a downer that the thing you've given your life for, people come up and trash it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, what a downer, you know? Right. Don't ever talk about my browns, but uh, which is easy to trash. You know? mm. <laughs> the, um, that word is used often in that context. But the, um, I think um, trying to get behind some things, you know, trying to, if you have them uh, coming to the programs, checking them out, um, making sure you're faithful with uh, the liturgy on Sundays minimally. Uh, if he's doing adoration, get it. Try to find an hour, half an hour that you can go into. So kind of supporting what he does as far as promoting the, the church and then offering, you know, there's some people. We know there's people who could do the parish finances in the middle of the Super Bowl. They could get it done by halftime. We know there's people out there that do that because that's your jobs. For me to try something like that, it would take months. I wouldn't, if I started in January, I wouldn't give it in. I wouldn't be able to get it in after mm-hmm. April. Okay. Give me until July. But there's people who do that. There's people who are able to see, you know, how the infrastructure is. Like, oh, there's brown stain on that ceiling tile. Well, someone who knows knows what that means. To me, it's like, okay, let's paint over that. Okay? <laughs> so using yeah. your gifts and skills and talents, using your insights, and using them to make that parish great. Now, what's amazing is when you move as a priest and another guy comes in, people stay there. And this is our parish. We're going to make it great. You know, We're going to make it welcoming, a home for them, uh, for others, and inviting. Okay. And faithfully Catholic, not cutting corners. So um, to help a priest make a parish like that, I think is, and then, yeah. And then when he does take a vacation, don't be angry if he is. (laughs) That's the other one. Absolutely. Well, Father Thomas, we have just about four or five minutes left. As Father Streitenberger would say, let's make it get a little controversial here. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Mm. Uh Uh-oh. We're 50 over 50 years into mm-hmm. this uh, Vatican II now. Yeah. 
how well do you think we've done on the role of the laity implementing Vatican II and what still really needs to be done? Oh, good question. Good question. I think there are whole documents we haven't even addressed. I think there's whole whole parts of Vatican II that we have not even begun to look at. Uh, the um, And how do I know that? For example, the renewal of religious life. It's a beautiful document, okay? Uh, kind of not addressed. Um, the, um, what is that? The, in, in, and then, in the Catholic Church, large, by and large, the, because everything changed around this time. So, uh, government changed around this time, you know, um, society, education, the reason for business, men's and women's roles changed. Men's and women's roles might not, might, might not be the thing you do, but at least allows you to talk to, to one mm-hmm. another. That's gone. Okay. That's totally gone. Uh, the, the purpose of education, um, all that and the church change. So the what happened was many people in the church were sacramentalized, not evangelized. And right. so that's still going on. Mm. The 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 mountain called the laity has not woken up yet. Okay. Boy, and when it does. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. But it hasn't it hasn't I think you have your faithful churchgoers, and then COVID hurt that because it, it, you know, at every mass you've got people who are beginners in the spiritual life, people who are proficient, and the experts. Experts often have gray hair, and way more wrinkles than I have. So, um, I, COVID, because you didn't have that push of you have to get to church because the experts, the unit of way people, they're going to come to mass whether you, it's oblig- obligatory or not. Mm-hmm. You know, they're already there. But the beginners needed that little help that came. And so when for that time when mass wasn't happening, the, the, the people of the beginning stages said, woohoo, I don't got to go to mass. This is awesome. Mm. And they lived in that for most of COVID. Okay. And we lost them. And so uh, we're starting to get some back. But that outreach uh, for Catholics to Catholics, to get them back to church, to get them, but even more there, it's to get them evangelized, to use our gifts to evangelize our neighbors. Um, family's difficult. You got to pray that a, re- a true evangelist comes into contact with your children if they're away from the church. Mm. So I, th- to me, that's the biggest one is that, um, we, uh, it's only been 50 years. That's the other thing. It takes, a it's good, only, f- yeah, good point. It's only, it's point. not even one lifetime. Right. You know? yeah. So yeah. it takes about a hundred years to implement the council. Yeah. You know, uh, we have the catechism of, the, of Vatican II, the universal catechism. The uh, another, it's an unread document of the church. You know. Yeah. So, so yeah. there is a good. lot of good work to still be done. Oh, Absolutely, and oh. that's why Saint Gabriel Radio exists is to evangelize. Excellent. So persevere. Yes. Yeah, stay the course. Thanks, Thanks Father. Father. We'll that's have you true. back. Okay. We'll get on your schedule. Sure. Right. Love it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thanks, friends. We'll see you tomorrow morning.